Welcome back, everybody, to Electric Jellyfish Podcast. My lovely wife, Shannon, to my right here. Hello. We've been meaning to do this for a while, but there has been so much going on. And, uh, heck, just this week, I've had a couple people ask me, are you, you guys are still doing this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, you know as, as we've kept telling everybody, life kept getting in the way. Mm. You know, there, there's been a lot of... Uh, Changes. Yeah, things have been going through several transitions, but we, we really want to get back on this horse and ride. We've really missed talking to you guys, but we've, we've got quite a bit to cover. And I know that with this being the height of the summer movie season, and it's it's kind of strange that the the way we consume our movies and, and everything that you know it's just just not what the way it used to be. It can really uh, it, it kind of takes on a whole new life form. We've discussed it before on the show with uh, Ed and Derek, and we've mentioned that you know the, the TV that we grew up on really doesn't exist anymore. I mean, yes, it kind of does. You know, the the big networks are still around. You know, you still have NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox and CW. They still crank out their stuff. But I've noticed that not a lot of people talk about that. And the people that I talk to up at where I work now, they're always talking about whatever they're watching on whatever streaming platform they're fond of following. They're like, did you watch this on Hulu? Did you watch this on Netflix last night? And it's kind of weird. If you were to get into a time machine and go back to when we were, you know, growing up in the 80s, and you were to have that conversation with... With your past self, you'd, you'd look at yourself like, what the hell are you talking about? I would be thinking, I can watch whatever I want when I want to watch Whenever it. Whenever I want to watch it? As many times as I want to watch it? I would have thought that was the greatest thing ever. I mean, can you imagine mentioning binge-watching to your 17-year-old self in 1987? You'd be like, what the hell is that? I don't even know what the hell that is. But we've been doing a lot of that. Well, you I know you and you and your mom have been doing more of it than I have. Mm. <laughs> You've been doing a lot of binge watching. There's there's so many shows that I've yet to really get caught up on. You know, I'm still behind on the last season of Cobra Kai. Mm. I'm still behind on The Witcher. Uh, I haven't watched The Orville yet. I've tried my best to, to stay up with uh, Stranger Things. In fact, I was trying to binge it last night, but I just couldn't get through the last one. <laughs> oh. Otherwise, we'd talk about it on the show. Yeah. I mean, we could we could you know make mention you know if whether or not because to me I felt like Stranger Things was kind of running into a ditch the last season it was kind of getting a little bit uh, I don't know formulaic and they waited so damn long for this season that these kids aren't kids anymore I mean nope. Millie Bobby Brown is an adult pretty much at this point every one of these kids are it's it's really hard to refer to them as kids you really can't look at them and say oh yeah only four years have passed since the first season bullshit mm. <laughs> no. Every one of these kids are tall as hell. And I guess it's good that they've made uh, Hopper look like he's lost some weight being in prison because I know David Harper is not the same guy. David Harper is not the same guy he was going in. And at the end of last season, he was coming out of this one. But, you know, I, I digress. Well, we can hold off on that conversation until maybe we've got the, some of the other team back together and I've actually completely caught up on it because you've got me in a disadvantage, honey, since mm-hmm. you've already watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I know for a fact that that one of the shows that we've taken in that we just burn through. Actually, you know what? I'm going to call an audible here because I'm, I left one off this list that I do think we need to discuss. Hmm. I talked you into start watching a, a docudrama about the Los Angeles Lakers mm-hmm. in the in the Magic era mm-hmm. called Winning Time, and it was really entertaining. And let me tell you something, folks: to get this woman to watch anything sports related, 
I've accomplished something. Trust me. I've unlocked an achievement on that one. And I just kind of casually mentioned it to you. And you're like, yeah, why not? Because you know, I think I showed you the trailer. And you're like, you know what? That actually looks interesting to me. And the cast was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting story. It really was. And there's there's so much meat on that bone. I, I know that they could easily go back and do several seasons of this. Mm-hmm. Just for, why is his name escaping me right now? John C. Riley. John C. Riley. <laughs> Actually, it took me a second. Yeah. Well, and given that this was was kind of put together by him and Adam McKay, and one of their normal collaborators is Will Ferrell, whom I could take or leave. Apparently, this caused kind of a riff in their relationship. Okay. Because Will Ferrell wanted that role. Mm. He wanted the role of Jerry Buss. Mm. And I think, I don't know what discussions were made about it, but I guess Adam McKay thought that um, John C. Riley was a better fit. I can't imagine Will Ferrell doing as good of a job as John C. Riley because I mean we've seen John C. Riley do serious stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my gosh, he was phenomenal in Chicago, but he was such a strong presence. And there was something so special about this show how it constantly broke the fourth wall, how they're always mm-hmm. talking to you, him mm-hmm. especially. I guess it was mainly just him. I guess mm-hmm. I really can't recall many other characters doing that. He was telling you his story. He was telling you his story because it was kind of told from his perspective of how he acquired the team, how he basically bet the farm and was pretty much willing to lose everything. Mm -hmm. Purchasing the Lakers and moving into the form and bringing us NBA Showtime. And that's one of the things I thought was so funny was that the name of the book that this is based on is got Showtime in the title. I'm like, well, you probably should have shopped it to the other network if you wanted to keep the title of the book intact. (laughs) Because you really can't have a show called Showtime on HBO. But it worked brilliantly. It was must-see TV on Sunday nights. I always looked forward to it. Yeah, there there would be times where I'd be out here in the studio messing with something, and she'd say, uh, the basketball show's on, you need to get inside. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my wife talking. <laughs> she wants to watch a basketball show. If you, if you haven't watched this show yet, and if you've got HBO Max, do yourself a solid. Again, we're talking about Shannon is about as non-sports interested as, as anybody I know can get. And this show was absolutely had her completely enthralled. Well, that's a story about people. It's mm-hmm. not really a story about the sport. Right. It's it's a story about these people mm-hmm. and what they went through. And what they went through. Similarly, as we move on to the show that we picked up immediately, pretty much immediately after Winning Time ended, we went over to Paramount Plus mm-hmm. and started watching what I think is probably going to be my favorite show of the year. I mean, we can say what we want about, was it 18, the, the Yellowstone spinoff that we also... Oh, uh, 1883. 1883. I always want to say 1838 for some stupid reason. Which was good, but boy, was it depressing. Yes, the entire <laughs> it, thing was depressing. Yeah, that was that was not a show that left you on an up note. Mm-mm. And I, I think we kind of knew that going in. They opened the show with basically what turns out to be close to the end of the show. Mm. And just how we got there. And it's 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 rough. Sam Elliott turns in one of the best performances of his career, I think, in that show. And you really see what Faith Hill and Tim McGraw can do together on screen. They really impressed me. That girl, I couldn't tell you her name off the top of my head, but the girl playing their daughter was a fireball. Anyway, the, the main thing that I really wanted to focus on was the offer. My God. So much more entertaining than I expected it to be. Oh, my gosh. I mean, as, as soon as I heard about the concept of this show, that we are going into the behind-the-scenes look of what it took to bring The Godfather to the big screen. Who ever knew? Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. The, sh- the story behind the story is as intriguing as the story. 
Yes. Couldn't <laughs> stop watching it. No. I don't think we went back in... Well, I guess we kind of did. We watched a couple of Winning Time episodes mm. more, than, more than once, maybe twice. But I remember going back and watching episodes of The Offer three, four times a couple, you know, in, for a couple of episodes. It was that damn good. Mm-hmm. Miles Teller has really grown into his... I mean, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's got some really incredible skill. Everybody involved in this thing. Uh, and I wish I had the names of these actors in front of me. I mean, I know off the top of my head, Juno Temple as his secretary was off the chain. But the guy playing Bob Evans, Matthew Good, that's his name. My God, <laughs> he was a complete for, force of nature in this thing. He was a complete boss. He was so good in it. I mean, before this, the only thing I really knew him from was Watchmen. Mm. He was the main bad guy, you know, Osmandius, the the, guy, the mastermind behind the behind the whole scheme in the in the feature film, The Watchmen. And you know, he, he didn't really get to show a lot of what he was capable of acting wise, because that was kind of a thin, one dimensional character. But you know, given that you're pulling from real life experience from Bob Evans, I mean, there's been something that we've put on our short list of things that we need to do. We need to watch The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is the documentary about Bob Evans. I've seen it. Oh, you've seen it. I haven't, and I and I feel like I really need to. The guy had an incredible life. Mm-hmm. Definitely a charmed life at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he even said so himself in one of the episodes where he's like, "I go from a failed actor and a hairdresser to the king of Hollywood." Mm. You know, how the hell does that happen? <laughs> I remember Kevin Smith one time was referring to a Hollywood producer that uh, that worked for Warner Brothers at the time. It was whenever Kevin Smith was trying to pitch his Superman script. And John Peters, who had done Batman, had called him to his his house to do a script reading for him. And that's how he got his start. That's how John Peter got his He was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. Huh. And he said, I guess in, Foley, in Hollywood, people just fail upwards. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was kind of harsh. It just comes off as one of those Hollywood kook types. And Bob Evans just had this incredible knack for being thrown off the top of a nine-story building and landing on his feet every time he turned around. Um, Burn Gorman as uh, Charlie, mm-hmm. the, the main boss at Gulf and Western, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Param- uh, Paramount's parent company. He was a total SOB, but you you still couldn't take your eyes off of him every time he was on screen. But I think Matthew Good owned that thing. And I, all I could think about was how much I would love to see other shows made about other movies getting made and what it took to bring them to the screen. Mm. And you, you all but get one gift wrapped to you, although there's no way they'd be able to do it on Paramount Plus because it's a Warner Brothers property. But at the very end of, of the offer, they're asking Mario Puzo what he's going to do next. And he's saying, oh, Warner's has has me working on a treatment for Superman. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> if they make that happen, if they do a the offer telling how Donner and the Salkins were always at war with each other and uh, Puzo getting Brando involved again, oh, I would give anything if they would pull that off. But given that it's paramount that this thing is based at I'd be perfectly happy if they showed us what it took to get Raiders of the Lost Ark brought to the screen. I don't know what you would call it exactly, but I would love to see what Lucas and Spielberg went through to get this to happen because all the people that they tested for it and, you know, you'd have to show Selleck's involvement and how he went in and out of it and that whole mess and how it originally just started out as a, as a treatment for them wanting to do something like James Bond. But now that we've brought Lucas into the conversation, we kind of have to talk about the other big elephant in the room is Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. I know that there are people that feel a certain way about this. And I know that we feel a certain way about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's it's been very polarizing, people's reaction to Obi-Wan. I think what we were expecting and what we were given didn't really line up. I know some people thought that it gave them exactly what they were looking for. And I know that this is something that had been put on the back burner 
quite a while ago. It was originally supposed to be a film, and it was going to be what followed Solo. Oh, that far back. Yes, and the same can be said about Boba Fett. And, huh, Boba Fett. Yeah, it wasn't the follow-up to The Mandalorian we were hoping for. It was entertaining. It was entertaining, but it just, it kind of felt like it was it was missing that certain something. And I kind of feel the same way about this with Obi-Wan. They, I feel like they focused too much on this Reva character. They, mm. they made it the Reva story more than they should have because her character was irrelevant. Yeah, and in in the grand the scheme of things, yeah, mm-hmm. I, if you had completely taken Reva out of this story, and no, I am not. I, I know that people are were really quick to jump on her, and there was a lot of negativity and hatred going going around. It's not an issue of who they had playing this character or what this character was. It just didn't feel like she needed to be a part of the story. No. No knock against the actress playing this, this, this character because she can only do so much with what she's given. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was very well developed. It was very predictable. Yeah. It, I her, mean, Her storyline was, I mean... You, could you saw it coming a mile away. Yeah, you did. You really saw it coming a mile away. Which made it boring. Yes, it really it's did. It's like, okay, can we stop wasting the little bit of time that we get? Because we've only got six episodes to do right. this. At stop wasting that time and get back to the story we really want to see. As I'm really fond of saying, where is the chase and how can we cut to it? Mm-hmm. Because I, I had that bad gnawing feeling in my gut very early on on the show where I'm like, okay, we're really dragging we're really, really dragging. And if you've only got, what was it, 45 minutes an episode? Mm-hmm. And you've only got six episodes to tell this story? Right. You don't really have a lot of time to screw around. Well, you just need to trim the fat. Yes. And Reva was a ton of fat. Mm-hmm. Yes. So just... Her, her character was, like I said, it yeah. was completely irrelevant to if, the story. If, if you completely remove her from the entire plot, what have we missed? Nothing. But I get why they feel like they had to add something there because, of course, we all know they're surrounded by plot armor. Kenobi, Luke, Leia, we know that they're never going to be in any imminent danger because... We know what happens. We know what happens to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We know how how they come to their end. Right. All of the characters. We all know how Darth Vader goes out. And granted, I was glad to see Hayden really get to sink his teeth into that part. Yes, the last episode was my favorite. Oh, it was, it was pretty magnificent. Mm-hmm. When he and Kenobi are having that conversation after Kenobi has pretty much handed him his ass in that lightsaber duel and carved his mask open, and he, you hear his voice go back and forth from mm-hmm. Hayden to James Earl Jones to Hayden to James Earl Jones, and they did something I think that was really brilliant. Whenever he was speaking as Hayden, his face was being lit by Obi-Wan's blue saber. Mm-hmm. But when he would go back into... The mechanical Vader James Earl Jones voice, it was being illuminated by the Red Saber. Subtle, but very effective. <laughs> you know, like you were literally watching and hearing him go from light to dark back and forth. And by him saying, No, Obi-Wan, you didn't kill Anakin. I did. Mm-hmm. So it kind of resolved that that issue that Luke had with Obi-Wan in Jedi when you know, he said, So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Yeah, mm-hmm. from Vader's point of view, he flat out mm-hmm. told him. You didn't do this. I did this. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things that kind of ate at Star Wars fans for the, the better part of 40 years. Now, that gummit, he lied to him. I'm like, nope, he got it straight from the horse's mouth. 
Mm-hmm. No, no. He did exactly what he wanted to do. So bringing that back around, seeing as how we're focusing on Disney Plus right now, we probably ought to start addressing all the movies that we've been inundated by ever since the summer movie season began with the return to the MCU theatrically this year with Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. What did you get from that film? It really wasn't one of my favorites. Same here. I, I, I liked it, and I again, I had really high expectations because Sam Raimi was involved, and I'm I'm a Raimi junkie. As are as you are as well. Right. I I guess I could say I enjoyed it, but it's not something that I would want to see over and over again. Yeah. Like some of those movies I've watched, jeez, I don't know how many times. But this one, mm, no. Yeah. It, it Once, was, twice is plenty for it, me. It it filled in the necessary plot elements to keep the MCU up and running. But uh, it seemed like they left quite a bit on the table. You you put so much out there because this was the first time we've really dealt with Wanda since WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And there was so much information shoved at us at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home with the multiverse kind of cracking. Mm-hmm. That we were really starting to see just how out of control things can get. This this whole phase of the MCU has kind of left me cold. Particularly, like, we were really covering it hot and heavy last year. I think we started the podcast right as Falcon and the Winter Soldier was ending, so we never really get a chance to discuss it all that much. Well, yeah, we did. Yes, yeah, we did. did. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. We didn't cover WandaVision, no. but we did talk about Loki. Mm-hmm. Then we, we kind of left Hawkeye alone. Like, I've yet to even watch Hawkeye. I- Honestly, I couldn't get through it. It was just more of the same stuff to me, and I'm like, eh, it's okay, but I, I can't, it wouldn't hold my interest. Mm-hmm. Moon Knight, same thing. Couldn't get through it, it either. Yeah. It's and just, I tried. I tried twice. And it's a neat concept, and he's got a really cool look to him. Mm-hmm. I just don't care about the character. I just, mm-hmm. I don't. And maybe we were just really, really spoiled by what I think was a far superior product with Peacemaker. Oh, yes. Eagly. I know it's been quite a few months removed from I Peacemaker. I love Eagly. But I really do think Peacemaker deserves his own episode. So we'll put a pin in Peacemaker and come back to that. Yes, I know it's been a while, but I still think it's worth discussing. Peacemaker was one of those really unexpected surprises. Yes, I didn't expect to like it. No. And, and you watched the first three and you were like, you need to watch this. Yeah. I think you're going to like it. And I watch it for five minutes. I'm like... Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, like this. <laughs> I really like this. Like I remember when we saw the Suicide Squad, we're like, "This is the guy that they're gonna right. prop up, you know, and make it." Like you know, he's such a jerk. Yeah, well, I don't want to watch a show. Boy, were we wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've never done such a 180 on a character in recent memory. I, mm-hmm. I really can't recall watching him sit down at the piano and start playing "Home Sweet Home." Mm-hmm. If that doesn't get you, you don't have a soul. <laughs> and I know every single time. Eagly wraps his wings around him and hugs him is oh, a special moment. <laughs> the one uh, towards the end of the story where the the other girl is talking to her wife mm-hmm. and she says, "I just saw a miracle." I just saw a miracle. <laughs> I just saw a miracle. It really got your blood pumping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really fun to watch, and I have never been more transfixed to an opening credit sequence to a show in my entire life. Such fun, and knowing that. That was originally choreographed by a professional choreographer, but it was getting too complicated for the actors to do. So the choreographer calls in her husband. This happens to be Alan Tudyk. And Alan Tudyk choreographs the opening sequence of Peacemaker, folks. I don't know how many of y'all were aware of that, but yeah. (laughs) I would definitely recommend watching Peacemaker. It's really a surprise. Mm -hmm. It's really fun to watch. It's silly. 
And you go from enjoying the adventure that they're on to actually feeling something for these characters. Mm -hmm. You want to see them succeed. Right. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. This is by far my favorite thing I've seen Cena involved in. Period. Point Mm -hmm. blank. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. And we are getting a season two. That's already been announced. Oh, that's great. So, you know, I know you never wanted to refer to it as Peacemaker. You always wanted to call it the Eagly Show. It so. is the Eagly so. Show. <laughs> Eagly is the hero of the show. Yes, he is. Or he tries to be. Yes. Eagly is the R2-D2 of Peacemaker. Yes. <laughs> he kind of is. He really is. But getting back to getting back to Marvel and getting back to, to Doctor Strange, I just, I, I, I hope they write this ship somehow. I, I am not. I've not watched one episode of Ms. Marvel. I have no real desire to. Mm-mm. Part of me wants to watch She-Hulk when it starts, but I just don't know. Something about this phase, this this phase four of Marvel, just isn't doing it for me. And it's kind well, of it's, it's got me nervous. It's very repetitive. Yeah. To me, it seems more. The shows they're coming out with now seem more towards a younger audience. And they're going with these really mega obscure characters. Now we are holding out hope because at the time of this recording we are a week away from Thor Love and Thunder. Looking forward to that so one. So that one, yeah, that one I'm pumped about. And yes, I, I do feel like we do have to mention, since we were on hiatus, we've gotten a new dog. <laughs> and we named him Thor. Because he's blonde. He's a blondie. And he thinks he's a little god. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've nicknamed him Docs of Thunder, so... Yes, he is a long-haired dachshund. He's a long-haired, shaded cream mini dachshund. And he is the cutest thing you've ever seen. But boy, is he a turd when he wants to be. (laughs) (laughs) Love him to death, but I hope we don't strangle him before he can get out of his biting stage. Oh, boy. Yeah. He he thinks he's a little badass, but we just got to put him in check every now and then. So anyway, moving on from, from the Marvel side of things, let's get into... What I think was, yes, I know they would say that Doctor Strange started the summer movie season, but I think for you and I, summer movie season started with Maverick. Yes. My God, this film has really taken the country and the world by storm. I know that Cruz had a lot of confidence in this project. I can see why. Uh, I know that Paramount pushed really hard to get it in theaters last year and the year before. Mm-hmm. And when that didn't work because of the pandemic, they were really pushing to put it on Paramount+. Plus. And say what you want about Tom Cruise. Feel how you want about Tom Cruise. If you think he's a jackass, by all means, call him a jackass. If you think he's a jerk, call him a jerk. But the guy is committed to his craft as an actor and as an action star. That man brought his A-game to this film. I think it might be his best movie. This is his first billion-dollar film. It's it's an excellent film. Entertaining from start to finish. Mm-hmm. It checked all the boxes. You got your nostalgia. Just unfiltered badassery. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't a lot of exposition there. They fill in the backstory very, very well. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think it was necessary for you to have even seen the first Top Gun to enjoy this thing. No. We've gone to see this thing in the theater three times. I can't remember the last time I've done that. Paid to go see a film three times. Dolby Cinema. About the highest tier you can go. I know that sometimes you can split the difference between Dolby Cinema and IMAX. I kind of prefer Dolby Cinema. That's just me. Mm. I I just like a really kick-ass audio experience. You've got Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos in the same box. So Mm -hmm. that's what Dolby Cinema is all about. IMAX, yeah, okay. it, It looks nice. 
but there's something about the audio presentation of Dolby Cinema that, that always gets my vote. And I think you've kind of come come to my way of mm-hmm. thinking, too. We actually, to, to go one better on not just seeing this three times, we saw it twice in one day. We went to a morning screening the first time we saw it. Loved it so much, we bought tickets to the better theater because we saw it in a decent theater, but we didn't see it in Dolby Cinema. We found the closest Dolby Cinema to us that day. It was like the Sunday of, of opening weekend. Mm-hmm. So we saw it like... 11 o'clock in the morning and then 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Liked it that much. And then we went back and saw it again with your mom. And mm-hmm. she loved it, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there were times between then and now that I would have gladly gone back and seen it again. Mm-hmm. I would not have hesitated. for If someone were to call me up and say, hey, man, you feel like going to see Maverick? Yeah. <laughs> I sure do. This is one of those movies where I cannot wait until it hits 4K. Mm. I'm dying for the steel book of this sucker. I, mm. I can't wait to get my hands on it. It was just... It, it was such a fun film. And the release schedule just kind of really kicked in hot and heavy. Because mm-hmm. after Maverick, within a week of that, you had what is being called the epic conclusion of the Jurassic Saga. Mm-hmm. Boy, was I ready to love this movie. <laughs> and I wish I could say I did. It was just more of the same. And uh, the, Jurassic, the Jurassic franchise has just been a series of peaks and valleys. And unfortunately, it's been more valleys than peaks. I really, truly haven't really enjoyed one. Since 93. Since the very first one. Since the very first one. That was a fantastic film. It still holds up. Mm -hmm. You can watch Jurassic Park right now and still be wowed by it. And it, it, it always really disturbed me that when the second one came out four years later, The Lost World, and Spielberg was still involved. Spielberg was still directing. There was just something off about it. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I wish, to this day, I've, I've still yet to really identify what magic ingredient was missing. Maybe it was just the mysticism was gone. I don't know. There was a lot of dumb shit that happened in that movie. You know, with, there was constant contradictions in the characterizations in this film. Like, Julianne Moore's character, I thought, was one of the most annoying twerps I've ever seen in my life in the Lost World. And how, like, even Hammond was telling Malcolm, you know, she, she knows about sleeping downwind and everything. She knows what she's doing. 30 minutes later in this movie, she hangs up her bloody clothes in the tent she's sleeping in, and here comes the Rex, right to the blood. And it, and what blood is on it? Not her blood. It's the T-Rex's baby's blood. Really? And then the third one, you know, Spielberg didn't even bother coming back for. That's the one that had William H. Macy and Taylor Leone in it, where they were going back to find their kid. Did not see it. It was, yeah, it was, it was fairly forgettable. One of the main things that always bugged me about that film was that the T-Rex just got punked in that movie. Because they were really pushing. That was whenever they changed the logo. They made it the Spinosaurus. That was their big bad in that one. Okay. So they took the T-Rex out of the logo and put the Spinosaurus. And I'm like, you leave my T-Rex alone. So then, you know, we, we jumped forward many, many years. They just kind of let it lay dormant for a long time. And then they revitalized it with Jurassic World. And it was good. It, it was still nowhere near as good as Jurassic Park. But it was good. It was mm-hmm. It was better than Jurassic Park 3. Then they kind of jumped the Mosasaur pit with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It just, it, they really started getting into the area of the utterly ridiculous and absurd. But this one, God! <laughs> it was truly unnecessary. It, this just, this film has cash grab written all over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, if nothing else, it was great to see Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Sam Neill coming back to be in a, in a Jurassic film together. That was the high point of it for me, was just seeing them together in another Jurassic film. But it just, like you said, more of the same. It just felt like a mm-hmm. a rehash mm-hmm. of, I don't know what executives' nephews they're hiring to kick these scripts out, but Jesus, this thing was an absolute mess. 
I know they were trying to be clever with some of these callbacks and everything, making the main villain the guy that had Nedry steal the friggin' embryos in the first film to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that, that probably got lost on a lot of people. I really felt like they should have concentrated more on the dinosaurs. Yeah, instead of this ridiculous mutated locust plot. I I'm, mean, get the fans and, you know, let's face it, kids love dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Give them what they want. They want dinosaurs and dinosaurs fighting with each other. Yeah, it, it, it really pissed me off when they started turning this into, when they go to Malta, when they... when they Oh, yeah. And it turned into a scene from mm-hmm. Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. where you've got Chris Pratt running from whatever these raptors, they weren't velociraptors or some other kind of mega raptor. I don't know what the hell they were. but They were uh, eating people. Yeah, they were indoraptors. I don't know yeah. what the hell they were. It was just... <sighs> It was just stupid, and I and it pains me that I even have that I'm even saying that about a Jurassic movie because I I loved that first one so much, and to see where it's wound up, I mean, I'm kind of having Star Wars flashbacks here. Mm. Like it, this this thing ended on as big of a loud thud as the Rise of Skywalker. Mm. You know, was, I kind of part of me hopes that that's not how they're going to end it, but. If that's as good as they can do, then they probably just need to let it go. <laughs> just like I say, just put I a mean, bullet in it and walk why away. Why did people back in the day love the monster movies like Godzilla and King Kong and yes, stuff like that? Yes, all that stuff. It was them fighting with each other. Well, hell, go back even further than that. Go back to like the like the Abbott and Costello films where they would have the Wolfman and Frankenstein and Dracula fighting each other, like like old school yeah, creature features. People were digging like, that. Monsters, though, so big, I. huge monsters. Kids like watching monsters fight each mm-hmm. other. That's what they do with their action figures. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't just give the fans what they want. Yeah, let 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 these things do what they they've been doing for the longest time. But they, you know, they mm. no, they let some kind of plot get in the way yeah. of watching the T Rex and the other creature, the new one that's even bigger, Giganatosaurus or whatever, whatever the hell. they came up. Sounds with. like a vitamin supplement, whatever the hell it is. Kind of, and they need to just let them go at it. Mm-hmm. And they did. For a about for bit. about two minutes, a little bit, but that wasn't enough. No, it wasn't. Um, we just we just didn't get enough dino on dino action, right? And that's that's what we pay to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't I don't care to keep seeing Chris Pratt on a motorcycle. I really don't. No. And I swear to God, you can make a drinking game out of how many times he holds his hand out mm-hmm. to ward off a dinosaur to keep a dinosaur at bay. Like for some reason, that's his magic. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you, you know, I kept waiting for one of them to come up and bite his and, hand and off. And bite his hand off like they did D'Onofrio in the first Jurassic World. I'm mm. like, no. It it, it, it was, it, it became a cliche. It, it really became a cliche. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I hate that. I hate that that's how, if this is how it ends, I hate that this is how it ends. But well, it's their toy. They're going to do with it whatever they want, so... Well, next. Next. Speaking of toys. See that segue? <laughs> See how I did that there? Oh. And another... Wow, he's thinking. And, yeah, shh, quiet, you. <laughs> and speaking of something else that doesn't seem to have connected with the audience the way the studio expected it to, right after Dominion, right after Jurassic World Dominion, we got Lightyear. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I know people are going to feel a certain way about it. They're going to say certain things about certain aspects of this film that they don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I enjoyed this film. I did too. I, I, I mean, I didn't love it. No, I didn't love it because it, 
And I know people are because it just wasn't a Toy Story film. No, you're right. It wasn't. It was never intended to be a Toy Story film. No, it was Andy's favorite It was Andy's movie. favorite. Yes, they, they tell you that at the very beginning of this thing that I, I wish I could remember the exact verbiage of it where like Andy grew up loving Buzz Lightyear. Mm-hmm. Because it was his favorite movie. Mm -hmm. This is that movie. Right. Okay. They've explained it. Mm -hmm. And I know that people have, you know, hashed out their feelings about it not being Tim Allen's voice. And I'm like, well. It kind of makes sense, though. Yes, it does. You know, because I know that when we were growing up, toys from our era that had the pull string on it that spoke. Mm -hmm. More often than not, it wasn't the original actor's voice coming out of that toy. No, no. Because I'm sure they would have had to have paid that actor an exorbitant amount of money, so they just get a sound alike to do it. So that, I think, is the direction they were going in. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he, he plays the character in the film, and then you get somebody else playing the voice of the toy. And that's what Tim Allen was. This, mm-hmm. As Tim Allen has put it so brilliantly, an open head wound kind of guy. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the Buzz Lightyear toy is nothing like the Buzz Lightyear that we see in Lightyear. Right, uh, And it's kind of a shame that people have avoided this film for whatever reason they've chosen to avoid it. I know that people say that their kids have, you know, fell asleep in it. And I'm like, did you see the same movie I did? Because it was actually um, entertaining. It was very entertaining. Finish. It wasn't. I don't feel like it dragged. No, it didn't. There were some holy crap moments. There were some mm-hmm. some really unexpected surprises in this thing. I think I it was thought, a very well told, very well put together story. I thought it was too. I think it's just gotten really maligned. By the fan base and by the press. Like, I see the score that it got on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's just gotten decimated. I think it's really unfair. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. I know that Pixar has had an incredible track record ever since, well, the first Toy Story. Mm-hmm. They've had many, many more hits than they've had misses. I mean, you can kind of count their duds on one hand. Like, I know that Cars 2 was not the best film. To me, the Cars franchise, just I've never really gotten into it. I like it, but I don't love it. The Good Dinosaur, I felt, was a real snooze fest. Mm. I was expecting more out of Soul than Mm. we got. Mm -hmm. And I think that Onward kind of underperformed because it had the misfortune of being one of the first big, big films that released right as the pandemic hit. Right. I I know how how you feel about Onward. I really like it. I loved Onward. I I know you you love your Blazy. Yeah, Blazy's cute. Mm -hmm. In fact, where is Blazy? Blazy's out there in the garage. Well, he needs to come in. Yes, he does, along with pretty much every other stuffed animal. Where the heck are we going to put it in the house? <laughs> we need to figure that out somehow. Maybe we can just shove it in the closet. You can put Blazy in the chair. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> For those, since this is an audio medium, she's just pointing at the the recliner that's sitting here in the studio. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. We really thought that Maverick was going to be the only movie that we were going to see this summer that we would be willing to go back and see in the theater more than once. But mm-hmm. then we went and saw Elvis. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it was so much better than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I know that there are people that are going to, once again, feel a certain way about it because they can take or leave Boz Lorman as a director. Mm-hmm. And that's why I had... Um, you had your reservations about yes, it. Yes, I did. I was like, oh, is he going to make it too, I don't know... Too heady and trippy. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. Perfect way to put it. Yeah. I was I was worried that w- once we got to the segment in Elvis's life, whenever he started getting into heavy drug use, that that's when it was going to get psychedelic. You could tell that it was a Boz Lerman film very early on when they would show like the locations of where a certain scene was taking place. It had like this mm-hmm. comic book effect to it. 
It's beautifully shocked. And, and it and it worked. I mean, it mm-hmm. really worked. And and I think they kind of established that very early on because they were going into how big of a fan of comic books, particularly Captain Marvel, the Shazam Captain Marvel from DC that Elvis was. That's what the whole lightning bolt and the TCB taking care of business logo was all about. And why he styled his hair the way he styled it. It's the way Captain Marvel styled his hair. So Elvis was very heavily influenced by this comic book character. And so I think that's Boz kind of took that idea. Boz or Baz, I'm not exactly sure how you... That is the first time I've ever seen that in a movie about Elvis. About the... Captain right. Marvel influence? Right. Yeah. I, I've never seen any film go into that. Yeah. And when you see it, I mean, especially whenever he gets later into his career, you know, close to the end of his life, when he's got the short capes on, I'm like, that's why he had the short capes on. Because <laughs> Captain Marvel always had that little shoulder length cape. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> but Austin freaking Butler. Wow. When you can, when you can stand across the soundstage from Tom Hanks and not only hold your own, but in my opinion, mm-hmm. take this for what it's worth, folks, eclipse his ass. Mm-hmm. Austin Butler is a is a freaking beast. This kid, like I had the same feeling when I was watching Get On Up, the James Brown biopic with Chadwick Boseman, and when I was watching Bohemian Rhapsody, watching Rami Malek do his his take on Freddie Mercury, I got the same feeling with Austin Butler. The actor disappears. Mm-hmm. The actor absolutely vanishes. And the person they're portraying materializes in front of you. Yes, I actually forgot that I was watching an actor be Elvis. Mm-hmm. I was thinking I was really watching Elvis. And he is the first actor that has ever made me feel like that about Elvis. Mm-hmm. You always know the whole time you're watching it, well, this is an actor portraying Elvis. Yeah. This guy makes you forget that you're watching an actor be Elvis. I mean, it's it's but, amazing. But but in all fairness, I mean, it's been a long time since we've had an Elvis biopic. I mean, the last one that I can recall was the one in 88 based on Priscilla's book, Elvis and Me, mm-hmm. where Dale Midkiff played him. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was Kurt Russell way by the, Probably not even all that long after Elvis died. And Kurt Russell is so well known that you're going to see Kurt Russell. You're not going to see Elvis. Mm-hmm. You're going to see Kurt Russell. I mean, even back then, because right. you know, Kurt was kind of coming off his his popularity from all the Disney films that he did, because mm-hmm. uh, he hadn't really done. I mean, yes, that was directed by John Carpenter. That was the mm-hmm. first time that John Carpenter and Kurt Russell collaborated on something mm-hmm. and began their really long and fruitful relationship. They'd done it ton of movies since then i mean with escape from new york and the thing and big trouble little china and Mm -hmm. he kind of became his it guy i I digress when i found out that he had been cast in the next dune film as fade raiutha for those of you that don't know or just can't remember the character's name that's the character that sting played in the david lynch version from the 80s now do that in your head tell me you Mm -hmm. can't see this kid pull that role off I can see him doing just about anything. I, I know Kevin Smith was really fond of saying how fond he was of Ben Affleck as an actor. He said that Affleck could play the shark in Jaws and pull mm-hmm. it off. I think Austin Butler can do the same thing. Yeah. This kid's phenomenal. I, mm-hmm. Every time he spoke. And, His mannerisms, uh, the way he walked. I mean, it was, it was really impressive. Mm. If you don't think you'll like the movie, just go watch it. 
just to see him. Mm-hmm. Just to see this kid be the most convincing Elvis I've ever seen. Yeah. I'd had my expectations kind of lowered because I've had several people tell me, yeah, it's it's... It's not what, you know, it just didn't do it for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, when you go in with your expectations lowered, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's pretty easy to wow you. But I can't help but think that if someone had told me that it was one of the best movies I'd ever seen, mm-hmm. I'd walk out agreeing with them. Because right. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Well, I take that back. There were certain decisions made with the music that they played where they were trying mm-hmm. to inject some contemporary artists on the soundtrack that mm-hmm. it was kind of jarring. It kind of yeah. takes you out of it. Yeah, and I get why they do it, and I and I respect that. I I appreciate their moxie for doing it. But when you've got Eminem on your soundtrack mm-hmm. with an Elvis biopic, I don't know. <laughs> I, Way out of place. Yeah, it just yeah, it just, it just. And I know that Baz Luhrmann's famous for that. I mean, mm-hmm. he did it in Romeo and Juliet. He did it in Moulin Rouge, big time. Mm-hmm. And and I, I get he's trying to get that crossover appeal because you're you're trying to sell something to a a, a group of youngsters that probably. Yeah, I'm sure they know who Elvis is. They've heard of Elvis. It's kind of, if you're alive in this century and you've never heard of Elvis, you've obviously either been living in a cave or under a rock, Mm -hmm. or you've never left your house, and you've got no TV. Or, according to Kim Kardashian, until she wore Marilyn's dress, no one had ever heard of Marilyn Monroe. God, don't even get me started on that. I couldn't believe that someone would say something so... Asinine? Yeah. Empty-headed? That's absurd. Leave it to Kim Kardashian to do that. <laughs> that was absurd. Not a fan. Never have been. Because Marilyn is just as well-known as Elvis. Yeah. Which, very good segue, by the way. Mm. How much are you looking forward to, speaking of biopics, this Netflix thing coming up with Anna de Armas as Blonde? Playing Marilyn Monroe. I'm really looking forward to it. Because mm-hmm. I know, you know that's a hard sell but, for you. But Blonde is actually a fictional book. Although there's a lot where it follows things that you know about Marilyn's life. Mm-hmm. But it's actually considered a work of fiction. Then that's got me concerned. Because all that makes me think of is that film that Kristen Stewart did as Princess Diana, Spencer. I hope it's not another one of those. Well, I've seen... They've done that book into a movie before. Okay. And the actress that played Marilyn looked nothing like her, which made me... Just takes you out of it. Yes, it did. And Anna de Armas... Did I say her name correctly? Yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's not Marilyn beautiful, but she's beautiful. Let's see what she does with it. And Um, granted, to me, I think Austin Butler is almost too pretty to play Elvis. He's got more soft features, whereas Elvis was very chiseled. If I'm remembering correctly, Elvis had Native American in his family, which is where those cheekbones came from. You can definitely tell. If you have any doubts, watch the 68 comeback special. Uh (laughs) (laughs) He is tan. And they do it in here. Oh my god. Austin yeah. Butler takes that and runs with it. That, yeah. th- when he, when they do the 68 comeback special, that's kind of a crucial part of this story. It's where the break between him and Colonel Tom Parker really, where the cracks have really started to develop. Mm-hmm. And he, Well, they wanted to hold him back. Yeah. And he it, didn't want him to move into the next decade. Mm-hmm. Elvis is like, I can only do hound dogs so many times. Yeah. You know, the... Groups like the Beatles are taking over. Taking over, yeah. I'm a dinosaur. You've got to let me move ahead. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a foregone conclusion that I can count the amount of times we went to a movie theater last year on one hand, maybe mm-hmm. even one finger. I, I'm really looking forward to going back out to the movies, and again. we I've have been, been. I've been in really enjoying it. Yeah, there is something just so wonderful about. 
sitting in a movie seat, eating the popcorn, and doing nothing but focusing on what's in front of you. Right. Because when you're at home, I mean, it's fantastic to be able to watch stuff at home. I'm not saying it isn't. I love watching the television. Mm -hmm. I really do. But there's all these distractions. There's the dog. There's the phone. There's this. There's that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just life gets in the way of what you're trying to watch. And it kind of takes some of the pleasure away. Yeah. But nothing gets between you and the movie screen when you're just in there for that sole purpose. Except for the a-hole that can't figure out that they can get out from the other side of the aisle and keeps walking past you. This is true. (laughs) But you know what I always say? Everywhere you go, there's always an asshole. (laughs) And that's a fact. Prove me wrong. Well, and you've said it very, very plainly on this show, and they do it for free. And they do. (laughs) God forbid if somebody starts paying them. No kidding. So... We're we're kind of winding down. Mm-hmm. After Thor, there's really not a heck of a lot of summer movie season left. Well, that's a bummer. It kind of is. There's so. nothing else that we're going to go and see? Well, I'm sure we could think of something, but as far as just like these big budget marquee mm-hmm. popcorn tent pole releases, this right. is kind of like the end of the cycle. So hopefully we'll be seeing you guys out and about. I know we've got some of the festivals coming up later on in the year. You know, we'll try to get out and try to cover those. And So until next time, folks. Shannon, want to say your goodbyes or? <laughs> I haven't done this in so long, I forgot <laughs> how. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even do the Welcome to the Electro Jellyfish podcast. Where everybody has a voice. <laughs> and that includes you guys, so please give us some feedback. Tell it, us what you think about these movies. Yeah, yeah. If there's if you think we're off base, let us know. You know we'll address it. If you want to come on the show, call come us on up. the show. Yeah, call us up. <laughs> yeah, let us know. So until the next time we talk to you guys, y'all take care.